Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Sumrall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And what a privilege to sit down with you. I know many of you are in Australia. Some of you are in Norway, Canada, the U.S., uh, Brazil. I mean, we've got people that are listening to us all over the world. But most importantly, you're our cup of ions. And it's such a pleasure to sit down with you wherever you are around the world and just gather around the Word of God together. Scattered all across our own nation, it's such a privilege to sit down with wherever you are. We can sit down together every morning around God's Word. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to be a part of your life and allowing Sister Bev and Pastor A to be a part of your life. We honor you for that, and you honor us to allow us to be a part of your life. Today, I know things are different. I know that we've been put back under modified enhanced quarantine and I haven't said anything in the last couple of days because I've been waiting for everything to shake out. Just let's get everything shaken out. Let's get everything in writing. It's, it's too hard to lead a church when the, the trumpet sound is not clear. So we, we want to make sure that we got, all right, this is how things are going to go. Now, things are done now. But as we move forward, I know things are difficult. But I want you to remember the promises of God. Faithful is he who promised. Every morning we have, I either read or we have a recitation of Psalms 91. These are the promises of God for a season of darkness. Let's open up our hearts and listen. Psalms 91, 1-16 He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will serve the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that weighs at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angel concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the other, the long Young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Sometimes as a pastor, I stand between disagreeing people. Because people have different priorities and they have different needs. On the one hand, we have many, many of our congregation that are no work, no pay. Right now, 14% of our people have no work. So no work, no pay. And they're, they're just struggling to get by. They're cooking, they're selling, they're delivering. They're just struggling to get by. And they're tired and they're worn out. On the other hand, we have so many of our members that are frontliners in the hospitals. And you know what? You're also struggling and you're worn out. You're fatigued. You've seen things that nobody should have to see, especially as much of it as you're having to see. 
And on the other hand, you've got the poor that are hungry and you don't understand the hunger that they face and the struggle they have to listen to their child cry themselves to sleep at night because they're hungry. So there's competing needs and competing concerns. And I would beg of you right now, can you just make your words sweet on Facebook? Please? Can you just decide to just, let's drop the sarcasm and let's drop the anti and let's drop the memes and uh, let's just stop being mean. And remember Romans chapter 13. My role as a pastor is to teach you to be submissive to governing authorities. Now, brothers and sisters, do I like lockdown? <laughs> no. But I would like burying 90,000 people, much less. I want to ask you today, please try to understand other people's perspectives and please try to understand the government. And, and sometimes, you know, rather than just criticizing everything everybody's doing, put your coconut shell on. There's a word from the 80s. Put your coconut shell on. Maybe you could make some suggestions. Maybe God would give you a piece of wisdom. Rather than criticize what everybody's trying to do, maybe present some concrete solutions. Now, I know you're going to get mad at me for saying these things on both sides, and that's all right. My job as pastor is to help both sides understand each other. But I would beg of you, if we're going to get through this as a nation, we're going to get through this because we pull together, not because we pull apart. Other nations of the world right now, demonstrations in the streets, <laughs> forgive me, it's just making everything worse. Can I beg of you, please? Let's have a submissive heart with the government. Let's have a submissive heart with one another. Let's try to understand each other's needs and each other's perspectives. And let's pull together as a nation. Let's pull together as a people and get through this thing and get back to the prosperity that we had before. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for a baptism of love to come upon our nation, for the hard words to go away, for forgiveness to flow, for the critical spirit to end, and for submissive hearts to rule. Father, let our hearts be submissive to our people and governing authorities. We know there's corrupt people, Lord. There always has been and always will be until Jesus returns. But Lord, let us have submissive hearts to our governing authorities and let us try to work together. Give people ideas. and let, let the Facebook be a time of brainstorming ideas and coming up with better solutions rather than just hurling stones and sticks at each other. Father, give us good, soft, and tender hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 14. Paul said, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Now that's a beautiful thought. For the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, isn't it fascinating? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So now notice, there needs to be a motive of inclusion. Our motive of inclusion is not to quarrel. We're not letting you come in so we can fight with you, okay? But now also notice, the one who is weak in faith may be prone to quarrels. So sometimes people have weak faith, but strong personalities. And what I've often found is people with the weakest faith have the biggest mouth. Did I really say that? Yep, that really slipped out. People with the weakest faith have the, the biggest mouth, and, and they just they just want to fight over it. He says, so welcome them. But don't welcome them because you want to prove them wrong. Don't welcome them because you, you want to debate. Just understand these people are weak in their faith, so welcome them just to come and be a part of you. But again, notice, the people who are weak in faith are the ones who are prone to quarrel. One person believes he may eat anything. Well, the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, that's not saying vegetarians, all right? This is because meat, in Paul's day, in the Gentile world, meat was offered in the Gentile world to idols, okay? This was something that was offered to their demon gods, and then it was brought to eat. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So notice, two attitudes. Okay? The one who abstains, the one who eats despises, and the one who abstains passes judgment. The one who abstains passes judgment, and the one who eats disdains. Now, disdains or despise means to think small of the person. You look down your nose at them. This is an attitude of superiority, and this is an attitude of arrogance. Now, it is amazing how two people will look at the same situation and have different attitudes. So a person who eats, they, they despise the person who abstains. They think small of them. They, they look down their nose at them. But the person who abstains, they sit back and cluck their tongues like religious bigots in their arrogance, passing judgment. But now listen, God has welcomed him. Who are you? Now here's a big statement. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, who are people a servant of? God. So who are you to pass judgment on God's servant? It is before his own master, God, that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. 
Why? For the Lord is able to make him stand. We preached about that a few weeks ago. Now, you, you just have to understand, brothers and sisters, we have no right to sit there and pass judgment. And notice, he's talking about the weak person. The weak person passes judgment, not the strong. The strong person despises or disdains. The weak person passes judgment. And Paul said, who, who are you to sit there in arrogance and, and pass judgment on this person? He said, he's God's servant, not your servant. You have no right to judge them. One person esteems one day better than the other, while the other person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced in his own mind. All right, so do you worship on Friday? Do you worship on Sunday? Do you worship every day? Now, where would I stand in this? I would kind of esteem all days alike, kind of, and I would kind of look on Shabbat, the Sabbath, which would be the Lord's Day. I would look on the Lord's Day as special, but we have church every day. Okay, so I'm not sure where I fit in this one. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So people who observe the Lord's day, the first day of the week, not the Jewish Shabbat, but the Lord's day, the first day of the week, the day that we honor that he rose, that was the day people had church in the New Testament, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. He said, now listen, you're both doing this to honor God. All right, so both ways. There are people who on Sunday, the Lord's Day, they're a doctor or they're a nurse and they have to work in the hospital. And so they come to church on Tuesday, okay? But they do it to honor the Lord. So leave them alone. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. I like that. We're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of the dead and of the living. Now that always gets me one little while before I get everything back up there for you, so let me put it up there for you again. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of, Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So, all right, so he's talking to the weak. They're the ones that pass judgment. And he's talking to the strong in faith because they're the ones who despise. So he says now, you know, really what we should do is say verse 3, and then come back up here and we'll say verse 10. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Every knee shall bow to me. Okay? And every tongue shall confess to God. All right, now notice a couple of things there. As a believer, we only bow to Jesus. Now, that's one of those things I'm kind of funny about. 
I'm not going to bow to people, but I will bow to Jesus. Now, show respect, yes, but I'm talking about bowing in honor of, of devotion. No, I'm not going to do that. And my tongue will only confess to God. Now, confess here is a big concept. Confession of faith. Confession of faith. Confession of sin. Okay. It's, it only works when it's done to God. So please, you... you you, you've got to just get a hold of this. You, you don't come and confess your sins to me. You confess your sins to God. And you don't confess your faith to people. They can't answer your prayer. Confession of faith is to God. All confession is to God. And that's a huge subject. So then, each of us then will give an account of himself to God. Wow. Each man. Accountable to God. Now, I got news for you. Every single one of us gives an account of himself to God. No blaming. This is your responsibility. You cannot deflect responsibility. So many times when you try to hold people accountable, they always want to deflect it. Well, it's somebody else's fault. When you stand before God, there is no deflection. Let us therefore not pass judgment on each other any longer. Now again, this is the weaker. This is the weaker vessel on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a block or hindrance in the way of a brother. All right, so here's a decision. This is the decision every believer must make. I will never put a stumbling block. I will never put a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister in Christ. I'm just not going to do it. Now, so what Paul is saying is, if you're doing something and you know that it stumbles another believer, just don't do it. It's just that simple. For instance, if I was going out with a family... And I knew that this family had at one time been alcoholics. I would even choose a restaurant that served no alcohol, period. No, no, no alcohol. They wouldn't even smell it. So why would, and you know, if that meant that we ate at McDonald's or Jollibee, then we would eat at McDonald's or Jollibee. It, it would just be that simple. Because I come from a family that has alcoholics in it. And I understand even the smell of that stuff, even the sight of that stuff. It's a torment to them. And there are believers that have been saved out of that. So I would never do something that would just, okay, if I know it's going to stumble them, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. All right, so clean and unclean is partly thoughts, partly thoughts. For instance, for me to hug a little kid at the church, there's nothing dirty about that. I love the kids. In fact, I'll be honest with you. During this crazy lockdown, I miss the kids. 
I love going around the drive-in services and seeing the kids in the car. And it's like they're growing up and I don't get to see them. And before long, they're going to be too big to hug. But see, for me, the kids, I'm like Lolo. In fact, I'll never forget a few years ago when the kids started calling me Lolo. I thought, am I that old? And the kids just were delighted to call me Lolo. But you know, there are some people, they can't hug a kid because there's something busted on their insides. Did you hear what I just said? They're, they're pedophiles. They, they can't hug a kid because something is, is twisted on the inside. Now, this is what Paul is trying to teach us here. There's nothing unclean in itself, but it is unclean to anyone who thinks it's unclean. Part of what makes something wrong is how you think about it. Let me say that again. How you think about it. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you destroy the one for whom Christ died? He said, you know, it's not worth it, okay? It's not worth it. All right, so you, you went out and you ate meat, and it came from a demon idol's temple, and you know what came from there, but that doesn't bother you. But it bothers this other person. He says, so you know what? It's just not worth it. I'll eat vegetables. I'll have a wonderful vegetable dinner tonight so that it doesn't stumble my brother. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. All right, now here's the key. When you stumble people, they talk. What you meant for good, they spoke of as evil. And it's because you stumbled them. So just don't stumble them. Just stay away from it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the kingdom of God. You want to know what the kingdom of God is about? You don't want to know what the authority of God is about? The, the authority of God is not about food and drink. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, that's beautiful. So if I will live like this, where I purposely don't stumble my brother, let my freedom stumble my weaker brother. He, he may be, he's weaker in the faith, but he's not less of a person. Okay? He might be weaker in the faith, but he's not less of a Christian. You, you got you to gotta get these things in your head. He's not a lesser Christian. He's just weaker in his faith. And you know what? I'm not going to stumble him. And if I live like that, if I'll serve Christ thus, if I'll serve Christ like that, it's number one, acceptable to God, and number two, approved by men. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, all right? He said, lifestyle to pursue. I'm going to pursue things that make for peace, and I'm going to pursue things with my lifestyle that helps build other people up. So do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Can you imagine that? So in other words, Paul said, church is destroyed by food. Amazing. People would destroy an entire local church by food. Everything is indeed clean. Okay, Paul said, listen, Jesus declared all foods clean. And I would come out here into the column and I'd say, Jesus... And I'd look up the reference real quick and put in where Jesus declared all foods clean. 
everything is indeed clean. Uh, forgive me, uh, Dinagoan is, is clean, okay? Balut is clean, okay? Blood is clean. But if it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So if I'm with somebody and they are stumbled by people eating balut, I won't eat balut. And I won't have anybody have a balut party around that person. If there are people who are stumbled by blood, then I will be very careful what I eat around that person. Okay, There are people that I know, Christians that I know, that believe that pork is wrong to eat. And so you know what? I don't eat pork around them. Now, I can remember one time, shh, there was somebody who was really against pork. And they were eating in my house. And I didn't know that they were against pork. And Sister Bev had gotten some lovely pork tenderloin. And she'd sliced it small and she'd made sweet and sour pork with this pork tenderloin. And the guy thought it was chicken. And he ate it and said it was the most delicious chicken he'd ever eaten in his life. To this day, he does not know that he ate pork, okay? So, you know, but when you find out that somebody stumbled by something, ever since with that person, I've never served pork anywhere near them. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. Now, notice that anything that causes your brother to stumble. I know that there are friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, that consider it sinful to go to a movie theater. Now, they'll watch movies at home, but they won't go to a movie theater. I don't see a problem with it. Now, in the old days when movie theaters were pretty dirty, yeah, you didn't go to a place like that, but it was the location. To this day, I'm very careful, and Sister Bevanshaw will tell you, we're very careful. We, we look up the movie ahead of time, and we get the Christian ratings. You can look up, you know, a Christian rating of a movie and, you know, make sure it's not full of curse words or things that you shouldn't see, and, you know, things like that. But, you know, if anything that causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it around them, and I'm not going to talk about it around them. It's just that simple. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Okay, he says, so, all right, when it comes to these expressions of conscience, he said, keep it between yourself and God. This is not a, this is not a, a contest. You don't sit down with people and say, oh, you're weaker in your faith than I am and try to convert them. Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Remember, the just shall live by faith. Everything from the Christian life flows from faith. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. With a heavy yawn, woke up in a feeling lonely. This world got a way of showing me. Some days it'll lift you up, some days it'll call you bluff. And most of my days, I got enough. It's all I know is you're my only hope. Woo! When I'm up and I'm down. Oh, 
fought for the right of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and staff. They come from me when I beat them broken, hold the heart, those pit wide open, turn his eyes my soul, protect and break the will of this one infected. They come from me when I beat them broken, hold the heart, those pit wide open, turn his eyes my soul, protect and break the will of this one Testament passage today actually finishes the book of Nehemiah. You know, it's amazing how quickly we finish these books when you just read consistently. You can see how you make it through the whole Bible in one year. So Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places. All right, so we have a dedication of a project. Now, why were the Levites in their places? Well, remember, the Levites lived in the cities of refuge. They had their own cities plus a few others, et cetera, et cetera. But the Levites had their own cities that they lived in, and then they would come to Jerusalem when it was their turn to do their responsibilities in the temple. To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. All right, so we have joyful music. We have joyful music, 
with instruments. Now, this is important today because it's amazing how many people want to take instruments out of the church and they want to sing a cappella or they don't like cymbals because they're too noisy or they don't like harps and they don't like the stringed instruments. They just like the wind instruments. You know, folks, there needs to be instruments in the house of God. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nethophites and from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmava. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. If they were not serving in the temple, they had their own homes to live in. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up unto the wall and appointed two great choirs <laughs> to give thanks. One went to the south on the wall, and one to the dung gate. All right, two. I jump when the mosquito thing goes off. All right, two. Great choirs. And they sang together. And after them went Hoshahiah, half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain other priest sons with trumpets. I like that. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mathaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Wow. So David's instruments still used. How were these preserved? I have no idea. But remember, he made them a very special wood, too. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs to the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people. And on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad gate, and above the gate of Ephraim, and the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hanel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me stood in the two great choirs. <laughs> Sister Bev would like this, these two monstrous choirs. And the priests, Elikem, Asaiah, Minamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, Haniah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jonathan, Makahashah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrehiah as their leader. All right, so the singers sang with their leader. All right, so there was a leader for singers. We would call that a choir director. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Now, why did they rejoice? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. <laughs> did you know that God will make you rejoice? God will fill you with such great joy that you just rejoice. 
On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. So, all right, so tithing is again under a foreign king. They still had to pay their taxes to the foreign king, and they're bringing the tithe to God's house. To gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Now, here's a passage I always teach to pastors. The people make it easy for the people to tithe. How do you make it easy for the people to tithe? Because they rejoice over the spiritual leaders. They look at us and they see that we're working hard. I'd say working hard. I'd say living right. I'd say full heart for ministry. All these people were doing, all these priests and Levites were doing it was right. And the people rejoiced over them. Now, pastors, I know you say, well, you know, when the people tithe, then I'll work harder. No. And I know the people say when the pastors work harder, I'll tithe. No. It doesn't work like that. Just like, you know, a woman says, I'll be a better wife when my husband's a better husband. And the husband says, I'll be a better husband when my wife is a better wife. It doesn't work like that. But I would tell, because I'm a pastor, I would tell the pastors, if you work hard, the people rejoice in their tithing. They rejoice in their tithing. You know, uh, pastors ask me all the time, why is it that COP are such faithful tithers? It's not because we beat them up and we don't teach on it that much. Okay, I think once a year or so I'll teach on tithing. It's because our people see how hard the pastors work and they see that we make sure that we live right. And when pastors don't live right, they go bye-bye. And we expect our pastors to have a full, enthusiastic heart for the ministry. And if they don't, they go bye-bye. You know, we, we police our own ranks, so to speak. We, we make sure that we live like that. And when the, the people see you working hard and the people see honest, you know, accounting and we, we show people the funds, the people rejoice to be able to bring the tithe. You should make it a happy thing for people to obey God. Let me say that again, pastors. People don't tithe because you berate them into it. They should be rejoicing over the leadership so that they do it with a great heart. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and of his son Solomon. All right, so David and Solomon both laid out what we call today Davidic worship. So Solomon had some things to do in this also. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. All the giving was done properly. So not only did the people give, but also the leaders gave. Spiritual leaders also gave. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, they read from the book of the Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter 
the assembly of God. For, there's a reason, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, brothers and sisters, um, forgive, yes, make a part, question mark. Now, what do I mean by that? Many Christians say, forgive and forget and restore them to everything. Well, that's not a biblical concept. When God forgave Adam and Eve, and when Jesus, the second Adam, came and took back the authority that man had given to Satan as the second Adam, Jesus did not give back all the authority of the earth to mankind. Jesus said, all authority of heaven and earth has been given to me, but it had been given to the first Adam also. But when Jesus, as the second Adam, faced the same temptations, took back the authority, he didn't give all that authority back to man. Ah, forgive, yes. Restore to authority, eh, let's think about that. Let me give you a second illustration. The, the uh, prodigal son. The prodigal son came home and was restored to relationship but he never got the inheritance back. The father said everything, it said to the older brother, everything I have is yours. The son did not get a second inheritance. So forgive, yes, make a part, restore authority, no. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Elishib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah. In actuality, he is um, hes actually an in-law. His son is married to the daughter of Tobiah. So this is Elishib the priest. Okay, this is, this is the leader, the spiritual leader of Israel. And he prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where previously they had put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and for the contribution for the priest. Now notice, the tithe is given by commandment. Notice, these are the storehouse. This is the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, what had Elishib done to a portion of the storehouse? He had given Tobiah an apartment in the storehouse. He said, now, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Now, you just have to back up and understand something. Nehemiah brought great revival to the people of Israel. And as soon as he left, these guys destroyed everything he built. Amazing. The spiritual leaders destroyed everything Nehemiah had built. Now, you know, Elishib had done his part in building the wall. 
But remember how the priests were very slow to um, purify themselves? And so it hindered the people of Israel following God? Well, you're beginning to understand why. You've got a corrupt spiritual leader. And he said, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem because he would not have tolerated this. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem and then discovered the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. So in God's house, In God's house, an apartment built for an enemy. And remember, Sambalit and Tobiah tried to stop the rebuilding of the walls. This was an enemy. So you have Elishib putting in-laws before God and in-laws before the people. This guy was his in-law, sure, but he had done everything to stop the will of God in rebuilding those walls. Amazing. Before God and before the people. And he said, I was very angry. <laughs> and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. <laughs> I like this guy. Pastor, he had a temper tantrum. No. Zeal for God's house. Now remember, Nehemiah means comforter. This is a type of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He took a whip and drove people out of God's house that didn't belong there. Then I gave orders. So he did not just let somebody else do this, and he didn't just sit back and watch. He took action. All right, so he took action. He gave orders and cleansed the chambers and brought back the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. All right, so he restored. He restored it spiritually and it restored its purpose. This was a storehouse that was to hold the offerings. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had each fled to his own field. Now, why people leave ministry? When churches don't let the pastors prosper, when churches withhold the money and just say, we want you to be holy, and by that they mean holy shoes and holy pants. They don't mean holy spiritually. When, when, when a church holds back blessings from the staff so that the Levites and singers who did the work had each fled to his field, he's got to eat, he's got to feed his family. Now, I'm not talking about preachers that are greedy and preachers that are in this for the money, but I am saying that the tithe does belong to the people who provide the leadership for the church. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Now notice how he defined forsaken. 
misused misused facilities and misused finances. He said when the finances and the facilities are misused, the house of God's forsaken. And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. Okay, so then, all right, so the people are not the problem. Problem is Elishib. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Penadiah the Levites, and of their assistant Hanan the son of Zachar, the son of Mathaniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. All right, so considered, they had a reputation of being reliable. Now that's a good reputation to have. People who provide leadership in the house of God, not just work in the house of God, but leadership in the house of God, they need to be reliable, especially when it concerns finances. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of God and for his service. Now, this is one of the famous concepts of Nehemiah. Remember me, God. This is a prayer I've prayed many times in my life. Remember me, O God, for what I've done for the house of God. Remember me, O God, for what I've done for your service. This is a beautiful prayer to pray. In those days, I saw in Judea people treading the winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Okay, so they are working and making money on the Sabbath. Now, that's a, that's a violation of the law of God. Tyrians, these are people from the city of Tyre, who also lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem itself, so sold them to the people of Judah. So they sold and they bought. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. If you go with us to Israel, to this day, the Jews, everything is shut down on Shabbat. Whether we're in uh Tiberias or whether in Jerusalem. Now, Tel Aviv is more of a secular city, I will admit, but especially in Tiberias and in Jerusalem, there is nothing open on Shabbat, <laughs> okay? I mean, um, there is just nothing open on Shabbat. Pause. Come back. And then he continues. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not God bring all this disaster on us in this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now, you have to remember that under the new covenant, we celebrate the Lord's Day. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, so all right, 
Remember when Shabbat, Shabbat begins at sunset. I commanded that the door should be shut sunset on Friday. And it ends on sunset on Saturday. Should be shut and gave orders that they should not be open until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load may be brought in on the Sabbath day. Notice my servants. All right. When you're dealing with a problem, use trusted people. Don't just ask somebody to make sure. Use trusted people. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do it again, I will lay hands on you. From that time they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. So guard the gates. So spiritual leaders were made responsible to stop the sin. Remember this also in my favor, O God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. I love that sentence. Spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days I saw the Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but the language of each people. And I confronted them, and I cursed them, and I beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. Now, can you imagine doing that today? It would be all over the newspapers. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for yourself. Now remember, Elishib and his son had set wrong example. Did not Solomon the king of Israel sin on account of such women? Okay, he said, hey. Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was beloved by, God, by his God. And God made him king. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. He said, listen, the woman you sleep with is going to either pull you to God or away from God. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jordiah, the son of Elishib the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat the Horite. Therefore, I chased him from me. <laughs> I can just imagine. This is a crazy man. He's beating people and pulling out the hair, and he's chasing this, excuse me, very elite young man. Remember them, oh my God, because they desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Wow. How did they do that? Wrong marriages. Misuse of God's house. Misuse of God's, of God's money. They desecrated the priesthood. They put family before God. And one of the, the primary thing of the covenant between the Levites is that God comes before everything. Thus I cleanse from them everything foreign and establish the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me... <laughs> 
O my God, for good. Remember me, O my God, for good. I love that. Remember me, God. Sometimes spiritual leaders have to do strong things and take hard stances for the people of God to live right. And that includes driving bad preachers away. Remember me, O my God, for good. We'll see you tonight, Missions Week.